This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me again this week, the new co-host of Warp 5, Norm Lau. Hey, Norm, how's your week been going? Pretty good so far, but I think it's time for my mind to reach out to your mind (laughs) and my thoughts to your thoughts. Exactly. Now, we're not in the same room, so you're either going to have to do that kind of like Spock did in A Taste of Armageddon, you know, through the wall, or maybe it's going to have to be an even longer distance, perhaps using this system of tubes we call the internet. Well, I think that my mysticism is gaining strength with every second, so possibly <laughs> towards the end of the episode, my mind will reach out to all minds. Great. Like You might even give to Powell a run for her money in terms of mind-melding prowess. If I can only look as good at her age in a mock time, then I think that's something. All right. Well, obviously today we are going to talk about mind melds. This is something that we have talked about here and there over the course of Warp 5, Today we're going to get really laser focused here on mind melds in the 22nd century. And also, Norm, I know as you put it on the outline here, a bit of demystification of the Vulcan mind meld. Mm -hmm. Because there's such a discrepancy between what we came to know over the majority of Star Trek once TOS had settled in a little bit and figured out what the mind meld was. And then what we're told about it in Enterprise how there is a stigma associated with it. And it's it's sort of an uncommon practice amongst Vulcans, apparently, even though I I kind of always felt like it was common amongst Vulcans, not common for them to perform it on other people. And that's what I got out of the research, because in Enterprise, and in specific episodes that we'll talk about in a few minutes, it seemed that there were a group of select Vulcans that were born into this ability. Mm -hmm. But later on, as the Vulcan mind meld becomes a little bit more ubiquitous in the Star Trek canon, it seems that it's not nearly as um, a practice that has been so so poorly or so misunderstood uh, amongst uh, the history of, of where it came from. 
it seems that when we started in the original series in Dagger of the Mind, when Spock performs his first mind meld on Van Gelder, it was something that was well harnessed and well rehearsed. And it's mm-hmm. something that it was only brought out in the most dire circumstances. And as the series and movies went on, it became, again, a little bit more ubiquitous when, right. you know, defining the Vulcan culture. It's like, we need to know what this rock thinks. Can you mind meld with that? Hey, exactly. can you let those whales know that we're their friends? Right. You start using it more and more as you go along. Right, right. And like the transporter, it becomes a little bit of a a catch-all for trying to get out of certain dire situations. And I think an enterprise, along with technology and along with trying to study the origins of a lot of different things that we've come to know in, in the original series and beyond, it's hard to try and deconstruct it with without um, insulting what has come in all of the things that we know of being the Vulcan mind meld. Right. And, and I think about, well, I mentioned up front that TOS was trying to settle in on what is the mind meld because it is, I guess it would be accurate to define it as a telepathic link or a telepathic bond, but there's a difference between what we see Vulcans do where they put their hands on someone's face and they create a connection of the minds versus telepathy at a distance where you're kind of controlling a person or an object or something that you're not actually in contact with. And in A Taste of Armageddon, we we see Spock controlling a guard through a wall, right? He Mm -hmm. cannot actually make contact with this person. And then that starts to settle down and then we get into, yes, you have to touch the face. And then when we get into the films, that's where we get the idea of the Katra. And Spock puts his Katra into bones. And that sets into motion, of course, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. And then we learn more about the Katra here and there as we go. And it plays a role in Enterprise. And it creates just a completely different... Uh, component to what the mind meld is and how the minds connect and that it's it's actually there's a spirituality to it I would say as well and Enterprise which we're going to talk about a lot today because this is Warp 5 they put part of that spin on it with the Cyrenites they also put the they during HIV Awareness Week, when they did the episode Stigma, they really played up the whole parallel with AIDS. And then there's another component to it as well that I want to talk about, which I know you did not put in the outline, so I'm really curious to get your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. So even at this point, after all these years of writing about Vulcans and mind melds and the Katra, it still feels very mysterious, even though it got filled in a lot in Enterprise. And I agree with the spirituality of Vulcans being a huge part of it because when Spock defined it in Dagger of the Mind, he defined a mind meld as being a very deeply profound personal experience Mm -hmm. from the Vulcan's point of view. And then again, it became very spiritual, very personal, and then it became almost like a shortcut in a way where you didn't have to do or perform the entire pressure point set up to make sure that you have the proper connection for the mind meld. It's again, it became something that I think the writers liked using for specific purposes and 
because it was already established in previous episodes, you really didn't have to delve into it too much, especially when it came to Spock downloading his entire Katra to Bones with literally one word in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, well, he uh, had I mean, really good bandwidth, Norm. No, really good bandwidth. This is what happens when you mind meld not over Wi-Fi. Right, right. So Exactly. <laughs> Well, let's talk about how it was handled in Enterprise. And the first place we have to go really is stigma because this is where they're drawing this really obvious parallel between an intimate act, which is the melding of the minds versus an intimate act of sexual intercourse between humans and comparing those as being things that could be seen as deviant practices, depending on how they are performed, and that there is a side effect to that or a consequence to that in that you could contract a disease from that. Now, I personally, I find the story very interesting, even if it's very transparent. At the same time, I I kind of feel like this whole premise did a little bit of a disservice to the idea of the Vulcan mind meld and the Katra. And I, and I feel that way the more that I watch Stigma. I watched part of it again this morning and I felt that way even more. Because I see something else here that, that's not so much a deviant practice in terms of a sexuality as as being an issue of, of control, of populace by the Vulcans at this point. But I'll get to that next. But in terms of stigma, though, I mean, what do you see in this story and this idea of it being a deviant practice? Well, I think that the doctors that tricked T'Pol into giving up the secret of the Pernar syndrome that she was trying to get information from via uh, Phlox's uh, ruse of trying to get stuff for his Denobulan counterpart I think those doctors were, I think that, that Archer was right. They were trying to find some way to control a certain segment of the population that they found distasteful. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've covered this in podcasts before discussing Vulcans and discussing the Vulcan culture, and they are extremely on the side of order and control. Mm -hmm. And the small population that was growing in, significant numbers via all these underground movements, they were exploring a side of Vulcan culture that would or actually will end up tearing apart the fabric of the Vulcan culture of the time. And I think mm -hmm. the high command just really didn't know how to deal with something of that magnitude, especially when I think in some way they agreed that it could have been beneficial for certain clandestine purposes, but the people that were involved in it, the Serenites or the people that were born with this ability, they were people that they couldn't control. Yeah. And we all know how Vulcans feel about populations that they can't control, which is probably why they treated Starfleet and humans so, so poorly and as if we were just these immature fools trying to mm -hmm. get out there in space. Mm -hmm. They just don't like giving up control. And that's what this Vulcan mind meld movement was all about. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the, the issue of control with Vulcans, I think there are two aspects to it. And, and you're kind of actually heading towards the control aspect that I want to talk about in a bit. In terms of framing this as it being an intimate act that should not be performed and kind of making those who do perform it an outcast from society and also attaching to it this potentially lethal disease in Pinar syndrome. Mm -hmm. Did you find that to be, first of all, an accurate way of framing mind melds? Given what you've known about them through all of Star Trek, and so when you come to Enterprise, and wow, now we're going to explore mind melds in depth, was it an unexpected twist, or did it make sense to you? No, it was definitely an unexpected twist, because, again, what we have known of the practice and the reverence of mind melds from all of the Star Trek prior, I mean, all the Star Trek leading to Enterprise, it, it was something that was unexpected because it is kind of, it is shaded with this deviant behavior. And mm -hmm. that's something that the word deviant doesn't really fall into the Vulcan vocabulary mm -hmm. from what we know of, of Vulcan philosophy and Vulcan culture and the teachings of Serac. So as the writers painted this picture of these groups of clandestine and shadowy Vulcans practicing this dirty secret, it was unexpected, but at the same time, it was almost refreshing in the daring of, of the idea because yeah. again, Vulcans are a very sterile kind of race when it comes to being emotionally locked off, very hard to connect with. And this, this mind meld is something that's physical, it's tangible, it's it's the sharing of information, whether or not the information is ag agreeable to both sides. So it's something that, again, it tears at the very fabric of, of what we understand as Vulcan logic and control over their population. Yeah, I, I agree that it was kind of daring to take it in that place because I, I think it's something that most Star Trek fans would not even consider. I It feels like when they had HIV Awareness Week and they or month and they wanted to write a story about it and you look through and you figure out within Star Trek, what's the best thing that we can... What's the best element from Star Trek that everyone knows that we can latch onto and that we can shape it so that it can parallel this particular issue? I think Mind Melds was an easy one to latch onto. And, and it made sense within that story. But it also, in order to make that work, that's where we get this idea that only a small group of Vulcans are born with this ability to mind meld, which flies in the face of everything that we thought about Vulcans up to this point. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't think that that's the case. I, I don't think that a small number of Vulcans are capable of doing this. And we kind of learn that as we go on with the, the Cyrenite movement as well. But where it takes me is that, well, let's, let's talk about control a little bit and where I'm going with control. I feel like 
And this is why I feel like stigma does a bit of a disservice to the overall arc, the story arc of mind melds within Star Trek. When we get to the fourth season and we see the administration of Valais and where we start to get some course correction in the eyes of many fans for how the Vulcans were portrayed on Enterprise. But for me, it's not course correction as much as it is saying, you know, you thought the Vulcans were acting weird up to this point? Well, they were acting weird, in fact, because what had happened is they had strayed from the teachings of Surak. And this sort of militaristic administration had come to power with Velas, and they want to hold on to power. And the way that I see what was happening with the mind melds is that, okay, maybe it's true that someone who isn't sufficiently trained can cause this disorder that we call Pinar syndrome. Okay, mm-hmm. That can happen. But much in the way that the Trill, can, the Symbiosis Commission on Trill had led everyone to believe that only one in every 1,000 Trills could be joined with a symbiont, when in reality, nearly half the population could be joined with a symbiont. But they had to maintain this belief that it was a rarity because there weren't enough symbionts for everyone. And they would lose control of the population and lose control of the society if it were known because you would have so many people wanting to be joined, but there aren't enough symbionts. Mm -hmm. So kind of similar to that, it feels like not just Velas's administration, but his party, you know, this group of Vulcans who had moved away from Surak, they need to control the population in order to stay in power. Look at China for a long time now, and look at Russia with what's going on right now, where now they want to create their own internet, they want to create their own Wikipedia. They want to prevent the population from knowing the truth. And I think that the Vulcans of the time in the 22nd century perpetuated this belief that mind melds could only be performed by a small number of people and that it was a deviant act as well because they didn't want people to be able to have that closer connection and bind and share their thoughts and share information and learn about the practices of Vulcans in the past because if they did, then they would lose power. And that's why we see Saval being stripped of his position for performing a mind meld as well. Because the mind meld, it's not that it's a deviant act. It's just a, a great, great threat to people like Velas remaining in power. Well, in every revolution, information is at the center point so that the revolutionaries can share their ideas and their thoughts and their beliefs. And to counter a movement like that, fear and propaganda come into play so that if any of the revolutionaries hear of the penalties of moving against the status quo, they'll think twice about reaching out and flexing their independence, so to speak. So when the Vulcan High Command puts out these declarations of fear and these declarations of control, and the penalties of what will happen if you experiment or become a part of this deviant behavior, it really would frighten off somebody from trying to understand the movement and understand Mm -hmm. what they're capable of. 
because the consequence is incarceration or losing position, losing status. Uh, we saw what the high command was capable of when it came to penalizing to Paul's mom and mm-hmm. and uh, expelling her from the from her teaching position. They were very far reaching when it came to their influence, and I think because of their their overall power over the Vulcan culture at the time. Even if you had the ability or if you wanted to try and understand mind melding and what it could do for you as a person, how it could affect you and your ability to improve your life, that was pretty much squashed with the fear of what would happen if you were caught. And you would have been the person that allowed the Falcon High Command entrance into the cells that were trying this deviant practice by their standards and further the Vulcan High Command's movement of basically destroying probably the one thing that would have changed their culture radically at the time for the better, obviously in their opinion, but in the High Command's opinion, it would have been catastrophic for order and maintaining the status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I And I, I think that you mentioned to Paul's mom being stripped of her teaching position. That's a case where as soon as they see anyone who might start to teach that this is normal and this is part of our culture and part of our history, they can't allow that to continue. Because if Vulcans learn that mind melding is normal, it's not a deviant practice, and anyone can learn to do it, then you'll reach a critical mass where the people will rise up And this oppressive militaristic regime that we're seeing on Vulcan will fail. And they have to protect themselves. And so what I see is it's sort of a blip in Vulcan history. And the Cyrenites actually represent sort of the normal mode of existence for Vulcans. And the Vulcans that we see through most of Enterprise... That's just sort of that little moment in time where they were led astray by a group of power-hungry leaders who themselves had turned their backs on the teachings of Sirach. And then when we find the Kirshara in the fourth season, they're starting back down that path. And the reason that... I said earlier that I think stigma does a disservice to mind melds. It's it's not exactly that, but I think that you have to take it within context of the rest of what's happening, even when you get on into the Vulcan trilogy in the fourth season and you look at Velas because it, it, it does make sense, but I think that it's just something that's been perpetuated. I think decades and decades of education within Vulcan schools has taught Vulcans that you can't mind meld. You weren't Mm. born with that ability. And you don't want to even try because if you do, you might die. And so don't even mess with it. And it's something that they all have the ability to do, but it's, it's a practice that has to be honed. You can't just start, you can't go up to anyone and just perform a mind meld. You know, it's 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 a form of spirituality, and I think that's where the Katra part that we get in the search for Spock is really important as well. I think of it a little bit like Buddhism, where you're coming in touch with nature, and that's something where 
you're meditating and you're learning to come more and more and more in touch with, in the case of Buddhism, with nature and with with existence, but in the case of mind melds, with your fellow Vulcans and, and their minds. And so it is something that you would have to practice and hone those skills, and therefore you wouldn't damage someone, which would lead to this Pinar syndrome. But if you take it all together, then I think stigma is really interesting, the idea that they've perpetuated this this parallel with it being uh, an act that should be viewed as unacceptable by society. And because of what happened to Tapal and because of her first experience with a mind meld resulting in the Pinar syndrome, it only mm-hmm. perpetuates the Vulcan High Command's position on being able to make examples of these mm-hmm. deviant people. It Again, the, the argument that but Archer let's was point making— Let's out, though, deviant in the eyes of that administration and those That administration, like Velas, no, you're correct, right? right. Velasquez, Not yeah. necessarily— that their actions should be considered deviant by everyone. No, and there were obviously instances in in Velas's administration where he actually had people. Uh, there was one, I believe, one of his his uh, consults that was on the side of the truth, not necessarily the side of mind melders, but mm-hmm. he was on the side of the truth and expanding expanding what was happening uh, with the Kirshara. But going back to stigma. Because of the Pinar syndrome that was afflicting to Paul, it gave them ammunition. It gave those doctors the ammunition that they needed to record what was happening and, again, put another notch in the belt of the administration saying that we are right. You're wrong, and this is the proof. And it's interesting for the Vulcan people to be so spiritualized about the mind meld for being a race that has by and large again we all know the the vulcan discipline of repressing emotions but spirituality is very highly connected to an emotional state mm-hmm. it's a disciplined emotional state and now if you're giving the the mind melders the ability to grow and to understand the connection between sharing information and sharing spirituality and sharing emotional content with one person to another person to another person that really does break down the walls of what this particular administration is trying to trying to basically admit that is the biggest crime against the Vulcan people when it's really not it's just another way of a a race's ability to express itself and to figure out how they're going to evolve to the next level as a as a species Mm-hmm. I mean, it's no really no different than when they were warring back in their, you know, in their primitive times, and they had to come to the teachings of Surak and say, "We need to find a better way." This is that second phase, I think, of their evolutionary history to find that better way of becoming a more evolved, civilized people. And when it comes to placing that in the logic of things, the Vulcan High Command really doesn't understand, I think, that how logical this is for their people because they like the population acting a certain way. It's easy for them to progress uh, in, in terms of carving out their their little chunk of the universe, you know, politically and militarily. Mm-hmm. Well, one more thing to touch on here, moving beyond that. So once once we do find the Kirshara... And Tapal starts teaching and 
mind melds come out of the shadows and Vulcans start to return towards the teachings of Surat, which puts them back on the path to the Vulcans that we know later. So again, fans who get really upset about the Vulcans, look at it this way. It's very interesting storytelling to say that the Vulcans used to be like we think of them. For some reason, they're not when we first see them in Enterprise, but then they head back on that path in the fourth season. Now, if we had gotten more seasons of Enterprise, we would have probably seen more of the transformation of Vulcans under the leadership of T'Pol back towards the Vulcans that we know. And Norm, one question that you asked as we were setting up the outline for the show is, how did that play out? You know, what happened beyond finding the cure Shara? So what do you think? What path do you think it may have followed? Well, I think that there have there would have been a couple episodes that could have brought in Saval as now a teacher mm-hmm. to a new group of mind melders and teaching them the right way and teaching a completely new discipline and philosophy and the safe way of doing it. And now they're starting to hone this particular craft, if you will, of bringing together the spirituality that we talked about, understanding the power of the Katra, what the Katra is. During mind melds, what you leave within the person that you're mind melding, how Mm -hmm. much of that spirituality is left. Because as we know, with the common knowledge of mind melding, there is a little bit of influence left behind. Mm -hmm. And the Vulcans always say that, would you like to experience what Sarek or... Um, to Paul's mom left behind in the mind meld with that particular host. So there is a huge opportunity here for the Vulcan people to really study and understand how they were on the right path, but were sidetracked because they were so incredibly oppressed by the former Vulcan mm-hmm. high command and Velas. But now at this time, Velas was overthrown. I'm picturing a textbook right now called What You Leave Behind. And it's all about mind melds. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm also picturing the Vulcan Science Academy, after they get rid of Velas, they change their mascot from the blue bashers to the mind melders. And they have a giant Vulcan salute on their uniforms. Right. You know, on the flags and yeah. on their... But that's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, Saval is a teacher. I can definitely see that. I mean, he was outed as, I mean, you know, I don't think that he really appreciated or enjoyed anymore his ambassadorial responsibilities. You know, he understood what was happening and he understood how all of the veils were dropped with the relationship between the Andorians and the Vulcans, how they almost went to war and how Saval was really kind of not being as effective as he needed to be anymore. But because he had the ability and because he needed to use it at the very right time and because he was because he lost his position for what he did. I think that would have informed him to the point where he did to become a teacher and mm-hmm. he would have become one of these great legendary Vulcan philosophers that would have advised a whole new generation of Vulcans that we now know in the original series. Mm-hmm. It's very possible that Spock could have been one of his students or at least read the teachings of Saval. 
That would be really, really interesting. And it would make a lot of sense, too, because Saval is naturally influenced by his time on Earth and his time amongst humans. And that seems like the kind of person that Spock would seek out. No, actually, no, that I didn't really think about it that way. And, and that makes perfect sense because Spock is trying to understand the relationship between his Vulcan side and his human side. I mean, we all mm-hmm. know that from the original series. And there would have been teachings that Saval probably would have been able to hand down from my time with the humans by Saval, you know, or exactly. volumes one through three. And Spock would have benefited greatly from that. But so would other Vulcans because the mind meld, again, it, it taught them the way to enlightenment or a new enlightenment and being able to accept different cultures, different practices, different spiritual beliefs. It may have even helped reintroduce the Idic to Vulcan culture, whereas it may not have had as much prominence under the previous high commands regime. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it had prominence there at all. They certainly didn't seem to be open to infinite diversity through the first few seasons of Enterprise. No, not for at sure. all, no. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts on mind melds as portrayed in Enterprise anyway? I think we need to do a mind meld show where we get people from all of our shows, from Earl Grey and from To the Journey and every Vulcans in different situations and different centuries to really get the entire picture of, of the journey of the mind meld. You know, I don't, I don't really see a different angle on telling the mind meld story because I think that they had to go to a darker place with telling the origin of the mind meld because mm-hmm. it from that ground zero dark point in Vulcan history came this great enlightening evolutionary process to the Vulcan mind meld that we know of today, which is higher on their spirituality, higher on their cultural identity, and the one practice that informs other races of how strong Vulcan mysticism really is. Mm -hmm. Because in TOS and and beyond, there were always these instances where when you even mentioned the word Vulcan, people took pause. You know, like in Mirror Mirror, like Spock said, if you're going to retaliate, remember, most of my henchmen are Vulcan and mm-hmm. basically, Sulu was like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I get it. Okay, enough said. So, or Vulcanian, as as the word of Right, right. But, uh, no, I think that they did the right thing. I, I think that going to a darker place and showing this type of uh, deviant and shadowy behavior allowed for greater growth for the evolutionary process of the mind meld to become, again, this great iconic thing that becomes the the spiritual nature and the spiritual identity of the Vulcan people. Yeah. And I think what they did with, with stigma and with fusion and with DePaul's character and all that was very interesting in terms of creating a character arc for her and putting a new spin on Vulcans, because if she had just been another Vulcan, like we had seen in the past, it would have been kind of boring. But it also allowed the writers to give her that emotional edge that I think they wanted to have her, display more often than not and it also gave them a little bit of a backdoor so that the fans will be okay with her emotional outbursts here and there yeah because the one thing that i mean 
Jolene Blaylock did a really great job as Depole, and I and when you read your or reread your initial thoughts on the Depole character, oh, yeah, yeah. I agreed with you. I agreed that Jolene Blaylock probably had the greatest evolutionary course from not just from a character but from an actress as well mm-hmm. as that character. And the only way that she would have been able to pull that off was if the writers gave her some leverage with the emotional range. Um, it's just something that you need to sprinkle in here and there so that she would become a little bit more tangible and mm-hmm. accessible as a character. And allowing her to suffer from the Pinar syndrome over the course of midway through seasons two all the way to four gave her the outlets that she needed, especially when she had to bond with Trip with the pressure point treatments mm-hmm. and their relationship. Yeah, I think accessible is very important. Because if you're making Enterprise a series that's closer to our own time so we can relate to the characters better, I think you need to be able to relate with her as well as a Vulcan. And so that worked. All right. Well, it's been an interesting discussion. I'm sure there's many more things we could touch on here with mind melds, but that's going to be it for today. But it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm. Standard orbit. But instead of it being a human being prejudiced against Vulcans because the Romulans look like Vulcans, the Vulcans are taking advantage of themselves looking like Romulans in order to be racist against Romulans. Earl Grey. So, it is. so he's got the two armrests, and the right one says little, you know, Ensign, you know, Lamont, and the little arrow. And then the one on the, on the left says Lieutenant Commander Data. <laughs> got a little arrow. Yep. The orb. But when they pull away from that window with Jake and Kira and they pull away from the station, it's like they're closing the book. They're, they're actually closing the back cover of the book and it's the end of the story. To the journey! How do you feel, Char, about the Borg Queen? Oh boy. I think the longer that I have watched Star Trek, the more I'm in the camp of, I don't know if I like her. The Ready Room. They want you to come across on Archer's side where he can be mad at Trip. But I have a really hard time being Archer being mad at Trip because just think of if we still treated, you know, people of a different race like this. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. That can honestly be the reason they brought Wesley because Wesley's got nothing else going for him there. I mean, yes, he can lead those kids, but that's just going to be by virtue of his age. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, he's 15 years old. Of course, all the other kids are going to look up to him, at least for a while. And then if he ends up being a total tool, then they won't. Commentary, Trek stars. Yeah, yeah well, Learning Curve was never meant to be a season one finale. They were going to do the 37s, and then UPN wanted to open season two with it, and that totally didn't work either. Man, you got you to gotta say, UPN really ooped it up. Literary Treks. What Jerry Taylor talks about with Catherine Janeway's life is... It's kind of a series of her relationships. I mean, she should be doing all sorts of fantastic things, right? And instead, we're learning about her boyfriends. Melodic Treks. But there's a whole host of of people that appear in Star Trek. As I said, most of it is classic courses for the Vivaldi, Strauss, Troiskotsky, Harry Kim. The 602 Club. This really does have an impact on, I think, the entire you know, comic book world. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Returns still have a huge impact in the way that people view Batman today. 
And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, we're in iTunes, but we're also on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Windows Phone, BlackBerry, SoundCloud. You can go to our website and stream from the show page or download the MP3 file. You can even grab the RSS link and put that into any third-party application that you like. And while you're there in iTunes or on Stitcher, if you have a free moment, leave us a star rating and a written review. That really helps us out. We love to hear what you think about the show, and that also makes it possible for other Enterprise fans to find Warp 5 as they're searching in those places, because that helps us rise up in the search results. Norm, we got some feedback since the last show. And, you know, we talked about weaponizing Starfleet on the last show, and we got a message from Richard Marquez in Denver. Mm -hmm. And Richard said, I'm glad you guys talked about having a military force on a Starfleet vessel. I always thought of how they defended outposts and did Starfleet train those that are going out to space to fight like the military. It's like in the DS9 episode, nor the battle to the strong, showed that there were soldiers in the Federation. And I wish they would have done more in DS9 to give a face to Mako if they were called that. I also figured that in order to compete with ratings these days, that CBS would make a new show, but mostly talk about Mako. Good show, guys. So that's an interesting point, Norm, about... I don't know if we would call them Mako in the 24th century, but one thing DS9 did during the Dominion War is to show that there are still troops, there are still soldiers in Starfleet. And I think that there was a point or two online where the Makos would have been folded into the Starfleet military wing in that mm-hmm. particular fashion, mm-hmm. just as ground troops were necessary to, again, hold bases or hold key points during wartime. But overall, obviously, that's still not Starfleet's tenant. But the reality of the situation is, and especially with this example in Deep Space Nine, is yes, there probably was the evolution of the Makos into a military mobilized force for Starfleet. Yeah, I think you need that, right? I mean, the galaxy is a dangerous place and it's not going to get any less dangerous just because now you're friends with the Klingons. There's always going to be another threat. And I think that any organization that is charged with protecting citizens is going to need to have people who are really trained in combat. I mean, people in these starships... They might be great at command or they might be great at engineering or science and they might know how to work all the different stations on the ship. That does not mean that they are truly specialized at combat and that they would perform best in that situation. Right. And something in as dire as the Dominion War, you would need trained occupying forces to be able to hold key positions and strategic positions so that you wouldn't get pushed back by obviously the Jem'Hadar ground troops who were the most elite fighters in the quadrant at the time. Right. So Richard, thanks for your message. I think you make a great point there. Also about the fact that a new series might, I I, I don't think that they would do one where they mostly talk about Mako. I certainly hope they wouldn't do that because I'm personally not that interested in that being the focus of the show. But I think you're right that this type of element would probably play a more important role in a new series than it did in the series that we've gotten in the past, just because of the nature of television today, as you said. So thanks for that. And for everyone else, we would love to hear from you as well. There are many ways for you to get in touch with us. You can go to our website at trek.film contact. 
There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that'll come to both Norm and me by email. You can also talk to us in the Babel Conference. That's our group on Facebook for listeners. It's a closed group, so you need to go there and click Join, and I'll let you write in. The way you get there is to type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. It'll come right up. Or go to our website and click Discussion up there on the menu bar, and that'll take you over there as well. We've got hundreds of people in there right now. We have great discussions every day about Star Trek, so I hope you'll join us over there. You can also even send us a voicemail if you'd like. If you go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm, you just need the microphone on your webcam or your tablet or your smartphone. You can record a message and upload it right there to me as an mp3 file. So I'd love to hear your voice there. Also, lastly, if you are a Twitter user, and I'm a big Twitter guy, you can find us on Twitter. The network username is trekfm. Now, Norm, when you're not sitting around practicing your own mind meld techniques for the next big convention, you know, so you can get to know the fans a little bit better, where can people find you? Well, you can always find me on Twitter and Facebook at Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. I am also a huge supporter of Alec Peters and the Star Trek Axanar project, and you can find me on the Axanar fan group page on Facebook. But I'm also a proud supporter of Trek FM through Patreon. And I am the associate producer for this wonderful show, Warp 5, The Orb, The 602 Club, and Star Trek Axanar, the official Axanar podcast. But before I sign off with you, Christopher, I just want to say thank you to all of the listeners out there for all of your support and all of your kind words that I have read on the Babel Conference because this is all new to me and... I am incredibly honored to bring you such great content on this show and all of your words of support and kindness are fantastic and truly supportive and I can't thank you enough for them. Absolutely. Yeah, you've gotten a great reception both in the Babel Conference and on your own Facebook page. Seems your family's very proud of you, Norm. Well, they always said that I have a face for radio, so I'm going to prove them right. Very good. All right. Well, if you'd like to find me, you can find me, of course, in the Babel Conference. I'm in there all the time throughout the day. Of course, my day and night is reversed from a lot of you guys because I'm in Japan, but I am in there. So I'd love to talk Star Trek with you there. And then you can also find me on Twitter. My username is C Brian Jones, the letter C and Brian with a Y. And I'm really a Twitter guy, so I like to chat on there. So give me a follow there and chat me up about Star Trek or Japan or college football or whatever you want to talk about. And then elsewhere on the network, you can find me on lots of different shows. There's The Orb, Literary Treks, Continuing Mission, Matter Stream, The Ready Room, Hyper Channel. And I co-host the official Axanar podcast with Alec Peters, which Norm just mentioned. And we have great behind-the-scenes stuff there from the production of that film. So check all of those out if you'd like to hear more of my thoughts on the world of Star Trek. Before we let you go, I'd also like to remind you about our sponsor for today's show, Audible.com. If you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks, and there's no better place to get them than Audible. I've been getting mine there for 15 years now. Very hard for me to believe I have hundreds of titles in my library. I listen to Audible books every single day, and I know you're going to love it as well. And if you're not already a customer, we have a great offer for you. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. Go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Choose whatever book you like absolutely free. If you decide not to stick with Audible, you'll get to keep that book, so there's nothing to lose. But I know you're going to love it. It's a wonderful service, and when you try Audible, it helps us keep Warp 5 coming to you every single week. So please head on over to audibletrial.com slash trekafilm and give them a try today. 
So thanks again, everyone, for listening, and join us again next week here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. 